Every Tuesday and Thursday leading up to the civic election, we are going to be speaking with a variety of mayoral candidates on a variety of topics. And today being Thursday, today we spoke to Rick Schoen and Robert Falcon Willette about transit. And we talked to you about transit. You gave us all kinds of excellent feedback on the difficulties and frustration you feel and face when it comes to trying to take a bus. We spoke with a man running a new HR company that's connecting Ukrainian refugees with jobs that match their skills. And Europe says charging cables will soon have to be universal. So that got us thinking about what frustrates you the most about technology that's supposed to make your life easier. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's on Connecting Winnipeg this week. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, October 6th podcast for The Start. It is Mackling and McGarry. Thank you very much for joining us this morning on The Start. Loren McNabb, once again, on Connecting Winnipeg today. Tomorrow, back with us on The Start. I'm ragging the puck because I'm just checking to see what the temperature is at the airport. It is zero at the airport. I wanted to see if it was one of those like five, six degree differences, but it's not. No, uh, the text messages are coming in, depending on where you are. You might be seeing some snow flurries. I got the weather report in the Tim Hortons drive through this morning from the delightful young woman who hands me my tea every morning. I asked her how she was. She said, well, it was snowing about an hour and a half ago. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Life in the prairies, life in Manitoba is probably going to be up in the 20s by the time uh, the weekend rolls around. Well, and it was three years ago, I guess, right? Where we had the, was it 2019? 2019, the the big big Thanksgiving storm. Yeah, was that on the Thursday? I can't remember if it was, uh, I think it might have been the Friday. No, it it, it, it started on the Thursday. It did? Because I had a a wedding rehearsal dinner that night. Oh, right. I was out at Pine Ridge Hollow, and it sort of dodged that part. I think they got a little bit, but then when we we went for dinner at, um, shoot, what's the fancy restaurant in uh, Kildonan Park? Oh, uh, the Prairie's Edge? Yes. Um, and when we got there, it had started snowing. When we left, <laughs> it, we there was like a foot of snow on the ground. The trees were almost like falling to the ground. I'm exaggerating, but it was crazy. So, yeah. Oh, I've got video that would suggest you're not exaggerating. That's exactly what we saw. Uh, and I've got video from the next day. And then, of course, the Blue Bombers played on the Saturday. And there was some question as to, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> whether or not people were going to be able to get to the game and how many people would actually be able to make it. Of course, a large number of Blue Bomber fans live outside the city. They had to shovel out uh, the stands at IG Field. It was quite the production. So th- this ain't nothing. It is indeed nothing. But today we have something to talk about with the mayoral candidates, and that is, as Skylar Peters pointed out in Jeff Braun's newscast, transit. Transit. And sometimes underestimated as an economic driver, sometimes underappreciated in terms of what it does for a large city. But I think most of us agree, Brett, that for a city of a size that Winnipeg is and is going to become 
we are way behind. We are way behind other centers, way behind other cities in terms of making transit a priority. I know safety is a concern. Fair collection uh, is a pain in the neck. If you've got that Pago car that it frequently does not work and it's difficult to charge, if you charge it at 6 o'clock this morning, you might not be able to use it until later in the day or sometimes the next day. It's not instantaneous. All sorts of issues with the current system. But what does the future of transit look like in the eyes of our mayoral candidates? And that's what we're going to ascertain this morning. Ascertain? Ascertain. Wasn't that the kids in the hall word? <laughs> Was it? I think you remember that skit where the, the guy kept using the word ascertain? <laughs> In, Don't. Uh, oh man, yeah. He 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 said he would say it like four or five times in a <laughs> sentence, and to the point where his boss basically told him, "If you don't stop saying ascertain, you will be fired." <laughs> and then he eventually, and then his boss uh, used the word delineate. So it was the actor Bruce McCullough. You could see he had this like thought bubble over his head, and he's yes. looking up at the word delineate, 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 delineate. So that became his new buzzword. Okay, yeah. I, I'm actually I'm looking at just a, a freezer, a still of the video, and so I recognize the characters uh, now that I I don't know if I've used a word ascertain on the air in six years of uh, sitting across from you, Brett. <laughs> Sorry, I just completely went off the rails there. Um, but that, I, every time I hear that word, I, I smile and laugh kids in the hall but right now we want to talk about transit it's going to be a big topic today transit service look it's a critical service for any large city in Winnipeg, it often does not get the attention some feel it deserves. A week ago Wednesday, we were batting around the different issues which were beginning to take prominence in the mayoral and city council races as we move towards the civic election October 26th. So we were talking about rapid transit and the future and expansion of this type of service, and we got all sorts of feedback from you, our listeners. Amanda says, talks about the buses and the transit system irritate me. I'm appalled at how crappy the transit system actually is. I live right off a very high traffic road, Brookside Boulevard, also known as Route 90. What shocks me is that for me to get to our largest shopping center, Polo Park, I cannot get a straight bus ride there. At minimum, I need to take two, if not three buses. It's so bad that I would actually rollerblade the eight-kilometer trip to work every day and would arrive faster than the 75-plus-minute bus ride. Hand out rollerblades. Maybe that's the answer. <laughs> Jim says, for my daughter to go from St. Norbert to Vincent Massey Collegiate, used to be 20 minutes, one bus. Now it's three buses. Every time the city spends money on rapid transit, my service gets worse. Jan says, I love rapid transit. It gets me to work in 15 minutes, and without rapid transit, it took me 30 minutes. Where I live on Pemina Highway, a bus comes every 10 minutes, and that is absolutely awesome for me. But then this text from Sarah... Another text about getting to one of the city's largest high schools. Sarah says, I live just off Pemina Highway. My three teenagers go to Vincent Massey High School. Before rapid, quote-unquote, transit, it would be one bus, the number 60. One bus to school that would take them 20 minutes. Now, the only way to school by bus is to take two buses, and it now takes a minimum 40 minutes. So this sounded almost impossible to me. Why wouldn't you just... 60, the number 60 all the way up Pembina Highway. In an effort to get to the bottom of this, I reached out to Sarah Cron. When my daughter first started at Vincent Massey, she was able to just 
walk a five minute walk from our house to Pemina Highway and then hop on the number 60 north and get to school in 15 or 20 minutes on the bus, um, one bus. And then during pandemic, they switched to rapid transit. And so now there's just a blue line rapid transit that comes to the southernmost point of Pemina Highway. And so my kids now have to go to Pemina, hop on the blue line and go north. But that veers off into the Parker lands. Um, and so they can't take that all the way to their large high school, Vincent Massey, they have to stop at the University Chancellor Matheson and Bison Drive area and get off and wait for another bus and then hop on the 60 to get five minutes down the road to their high school. So it has essentially doubled their commute time from let's say 20 minutes on the bus to now 40 minutes minimum, depending on how long the wait is for that second bus. Unreal. One of the fastest growing parts of the city, new high rises going up along Pembina Highway and the bus, which forever in a day served that busy thoroughfare, doesn't ra- run past the university any longer. What that means for Sarah's kids is a change of bus or a transfer. Sounds easy enough, right? Well, it does come fairly frequently, but it's also often full. Like the kids will report that they couldn't get, especially at Vincent Massey when they're coming home, they often can't get on that first bus that picks them up because there's such high demand. Um, Vincent Massey is the only French immersion school for all of that South Winnipeg portion. So my kids are in French immersion. There is a closer school to me, but it's an English school. There's a ton of kids that have to get on buses to go to White Ridge, to Linden Woods, to Fort Richmond, like all feeding into that French Vincent Massey. And also the junior high is Viscount Alexander. And those are very close together. And so the kids who get on the bus first get on, but the next ones, if the bus is full, they have to wait again for that next bus. There are some other parts of this story specific to this part of the city, including the recent cancellation of school bus service and a special transit bus which serves these Fort Richmond, Fort Richmond West neighborhoods. One bus only in the afternoon. And it is always full. But there's another component of this which bothers Sarah Cron. And the part that worries me the most is just how many more cars have to drop their kids off, which creates such congestion around those schools. And it's a safety issue. It's so dangerous to have all those parents trying to drop their kids off because the kids in the middle of winter are not going to want to sit and wait for that second bus when you have to transfer, right? It's so cold. It's unpredictable. There's delays, you know, so it just increases the amount of traffic that's in and around those schools. And it's dangerous. I remember when we first shared Sarah's text last week or whenever it was, um, we had a couple of people responding along along the lines of, and I think I'm, I'm not paraphrasing, I believe the words were suck it up, buttercup, takes a while to take the bus. Well, okay, that that's fair, depending on where you're going. Like when I went to the University of Manitoba, as someone who lived in Transcona, I had to take two buses. I'd take the 47 to Kildonan Place, and then I'd hop on the 75 to the U of M, and it would be about a 75-minute ride, and that's, you know, that, that was just part of the deal. I got it. But if I was taking, if I was used to taking one bus to get there, and then suddenly I had to take two, 
Right. Well, yeah, that you have a, that's a genuine bone to pick. Yes, because the service then has decreased when you spend tens of millions of dollars to increase and improve service to that particular part of the city. And then it actually, the, the service is, is less functional for you. That's not what we want. And I got an email from another Greg at gmac at cjob.com. Transit improvement is a hard sell for the ratepayers. The service is poor, off-peak hours, making it an unattractive alternative for people who use their automobiles. Long-term investment in LRT, like in Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Buses hubbing to a north-south-east-west grid system, long-term planning sadly lacking here. And that's part of what we're supposed to see with the implementation of the transit master plan. So there are levels to this discussion, but right now I think uh, frustration is only one word that comes to mind when, when people talk about using transit. And safety is probably the one that's used maybe even before frustration. And by the way, I, I remember... Quite recently, I was driving on Pemina Highway, and I passed a number 47 bus, and I thought, what? What's the 47 doing out here? And so I double, I, I checked. So that route has since evolved. It now goes from Transcona all the way to the university, I believe. So that's, so now, if I if I were to go back to the University of Manitoba, let's say I would move back to Transcona, I could take it all the way to the university now. But back in 1995, not so much. European Parliament ruling Apple will have to change its iPhone chargers so as to comply with new rules introducing a universal charger. Starting in 2024, USB Type-C chargers will be required for things like smartphones and tablets. And starting in 2026, the same charger type will also be the norm for laptops. Lawmakers hope the move will reduce electronic waste and unnecessary costs for consumers. Apple has argued the proposal uh, members to ensure innovation. Ines de la Quatera, ABC News. At the foreign desk. <laughs> that is perfect. Well, that, that just happened because we're about to talk about things that frustrate us about technology. <laughs> <laughs> that, was that you, Mackling? Playing I don't, on? Know. I don't no. think so. Oh, was that it Jeff was, Forte? Uh, no, news booth. News booth. Oh, oh sorry. I just tuned back into it. I was getting a clip ready for, uh, for 725. Oh, he's trying to do some multitasking. Well, Here's what we're going to talk about now. Things that frustrate you about technology that's supposed to make your life easier, like these charging cables and how every company seems, want, or often wants to have their own proprietary technology. So let's go around the horn here. Um, Mackling, let's start with you. Well, I'm a customer service guy, uh, have been for a long time. I, I took pride in customer service in my previous occupations, and it frustrates me to no end that with all these additional tools to screen out the very simple questions that can be answered very simply online in these little chat boxes on different uh, online platforms, that when I, you know, when you finally determine that you're not going to be able to help me with your little chat robot, it's more difficult now than ever to speak to a human being. And you would think that their ability to sift out, you know, the really repetitive answers and the questions that have obvious answers to them that they're able to deliver via these chat discussions, that when you finally get to a point where, look, you can't help me, that they would actually have somebody on the other end of the line, and that ability is disappearing by the day. Great point, great point. I hate those chat boxes. Uh, Jeff Braun, what about you, sir? 
For me, the, the bane of my existence these last few years has been the pay at the pump option with the credit card because it just never works for me. I, I put my card in there and, and it treats me like, like I've you know, like tried to shove a rock in there or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. And it just never works. So I always have to go inside to pay. And then the cashier gives me a look like, well, do you want you're buying smokes or something? I'm like, nope. And they're like, do you want your receipt? Nope. And they're just like, what are you coming here for? You know, <laughs> but it's just like, I, it never works for me. It's worked. It worked for me for the, uh, about two weeks ago. And that was the first time in probably three years out of maybe a dozen tries I could ever get it to work for me. So maybe my luck's turning around, but I'm not getting my hopes up. Make sure that you go back to that gas station. That'll be the, the last gas station Jeff Braun ever uses. <laughs> <laughs> um, Forte, what about you? Digital cards, for example, my Aeroplan card, the app, like when I log in, it should keep me logged in forever. All I should have to do is hit that app and it should open up and they should be able to scan my phone. But instead, half the time it logs me out and I'm standing in line waiting to get to the cash register and I have to log back in. And then when I try to log back in, it gives me the blue wheel of death and saying that, oh, I can't log in. I'm like, well, now I can't use my Aeroplans. So I've actually given up on aeroplanes sometimes because uh, it's just it's too difficult. It's uh, it's too much of a pain. Yeah, that's a good one too. And that with everything, especially uh, we saw a huge shift in ticketing right uh, when the pandemic that's hit. Right. Like with all of our pricing, for example, it's all done digitally now. And uh, I know that it's a lot of bomber fans, for example, had a difficult time making that transition. And the thing that always scares me about the digital ticket is, like as, as Forte pointed out, what if you can't get on? I remember when MTS Center first opened, <laughs> like it, I, I was at the first ever Jets preseason game and um, I had my MTS phone in my hand. And I couldn't get a signal <laughs> oh. at the MTS Center. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty brutal. <laughs> well, the weekend had to cancel his uh, concert when that Rogers uh, situation oh, yeah. happened. He had to cancel his concert because everything's digital and they couldn't get anyone in the building. That's right. And when Garth Brooks last came to Winnipeg, I had somebody offer me tickets. I couldn't get the tickets from them because you weren't able to share them digitally because they were trying to protect. Oh, and I dig the protection on. of the integrity of the of the tickets and not wanting uh, resellers to make a fortune off Garth Brooks. But yeah, I, and I think they were incredible seats and there was just no way I could get those tickets. Ross, what about you? Don't you hate when your mic won't turn on? You know, you want to join a conversation and nobody's there. <laughs> no, in all seriousness... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I got to probably go with, uh, in particular, me, I have a bit of a problem with with passwords. I try to get too fancy sometimes, and I, I just have to go one across the board now because I'll, I'll throw in a few different ones, and I'm sitting there, and the amount of times I have to hit forgot my password, it, it's honestly embarrassing. Well, there's nothing embarrassing about that. We, I, bet you, we, I bet you I've got minimum 50 passwords I need to remember. And <laughs> there's one that uh, Jeff Braun and I, we get access to screeners sometimes for the Couch Potatoes for Disney stuff. And the password for that is has to be a minimum of 16 characters. You expect me to remember that with a mixed bag of numbers and letters and you have to have you know symbols and whatnot? No. Never. I have to reset it every time. It's actually the reason why I don't even bother signing up for screeners from them anymore because I can't, I'm like, I can't get into this. I don't remember. Yeah, and if you write it down, doesn't that defeat the purpose? 
yeah. all together because if somebody's breaking into your house to watching watch Disney stuff <laughs> and you have the piece of paper written down there, guess what? They're going to sit down and enter your password and steal the movie and sit on your couch for two and a half hours, Brett. <laughs> It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg today. And tomorrow, issues that affect our family, our safety, our daily commutes are decided by whom we elect on October 26th. Every Tuesday and Thursday, 680 CJOB will be talking about key election topics that matter to you and inviting all the front-running mayoral candidates onto our shows to respond. Yeah, tune in throughout the day to hear what the candidates are asking for your vote plan to do to tackle the city's biggest issues. Today we are talking about transit. Mayoral candidate Rick Schoen joins us now. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. So uh, we'll just jump right into this. In, in your view, what is the number one thing we need to do when it comes to improving transit in Winnipeg? Uh, well, I think the number, there's lots, but I think the number one thing uh, for the riders is making sure that we have a, a frequent transit system. So, you know, introducing and funding that long-term transit uh, network right now. So how critical is a functional modern transit system for the future economic and community development of our city? Yeah, I mean, it's it's super uh, important. <clears throat> I mean, right now we're seeing a lot of issues on transit. You know, through the pandemic, we've had a drop in transit ridership over half. But even before the pandemic, ridership was stagnant. So, I mean, we have to ask, why is that? And um, the more people we can get out of cars and into buses, uh, you know, it's just good for everybody. We don't have to build as many roads. We don't have to, you know, spend as much money on uh, wear and tear and repairing roads. So from a financial perspective, it makes a huge amount of sense for the city to focus on uh, effective and efficient transit. The uh, transit master plan that is uh, before City Hall and and I suppose is on track to be implemented. How familiar are you with that, Rick? And is that uh, the the program that you would intend to follow as mayor? Yeah, super uh, familiar. I've spent a lot of time digging through that plan. Uh, Overall, I think it's really great. I think the first part um, being very specific, uh, you know, is really easy to understand. The second part, when it comes to infrastructure and and actually outlaying the bus routes, it's, it's quite vague. There's a lot of work that needs to be done on there. Uh, I think the, the one big change that I would make first as mayor is that we have, um, you know, if you look at the capital budget plan, uh, we actually don't fund the frequent network part of this plan until starting in sometime in 2024, 25. And I think that's a mistake. We need to find that money to fund that part right now. Um, that, you know, just traveling to other cities that have a great transit system one of the most important things and the thing that impressed me the most is that if you can get uh, transit stops within, say, 500 metres from a person's house, you're, you're, um, the chances that somebody's going to use the bus go up quite a bit. That's a great point. And actually, when I uh, bought my house and 20, about 10 years ago, that was one of the first things I looked at. That was actually a key priority for me to make sure that our home had a bus route nearby and it was uh, just a block away. So that was handy. Oh, totally. The bus always came early, yeah, we, so I missed I, it frequently. Same, but. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the, that's the thing. So it's the same thing for us. I mean, we've chosen to live in an area, actually, uh, I'm only a couple hundred meters from a bus uh, route, and it was a big deciding factor. My wife uh, has taken the bus to work. Uh, you know, for four years, um, I take the bus often because I just jump on the, the bus and head downtown. And, uh, you know, having frequent bus service, and you know, is, is really important. 
Um, the interesting thing is that for me, I have to take a transfer if I want to get to work on time. But uh, when I add that transfer in, it's about a 45-minute commute on a bus. So I'd like to see things like that become much faster for people. Um, you know, if you can get to where you're going to, if you get, if you can get to where you want to go quicker and more efficient, I think a lot more people would choose the bus. So uh, we've been hearing also complaints here. We are uh, with stagnant ridership, more or less. We're going to just set the obviously the pandemic aside, the numbers uh, during pandemic aside, Rick mm-hmm. here, but we're hearing from people who do use the bus, who want to use the bus about standing at the bus stop and being passed by because ironically, a system that wants more people using it uh, often cannot uh, cannot serve the, the customers that want to use it. Full buses. What are we going to do about it? Yeah, you know, I've heard a few people kind of joke and actually not joke and more in frustration that the most frequent service, uh, the most frequent bus that comes by is the bus that says out of service. So, I mean, that's the kind of thing we kind of need to, we need to figure out. Like if we have people, a lot of people standing at bus stops at certain times of day, we need to be able to, you know, increase frequency so that, yeah, there's more buses coming. So rather than a bus coming every half an hour, a bus comes, let's say, every 15 minutes or 10 minutes on high, uh, high volume routes. Um, you know, one of the things uh, <clears throat> that was shared to me too is especially later on at night when we reduce we reduce the uh, the buses. Some of the buses that come from downtown and go out to different areas of the city are super packed at 11 or 12 o'clock at night. Sundays as well, um, Rick. Exactly right, and so those are the kinds of things we need to look at. We don't we don't want people standing outside in the dark, you know, especially in the winter and cold, waiting for a bus for you know thirty minutes or so because one is full. We're speaking with Rick Schoen, mayoral candidate, about transit, and one of the things you, you, what you just talked about actually kind of ties into the topic of safety as well. Transit safety has been a concern mm-hmm. for years, and now bus shops with shelters have another layer of uncertainty attached to them. You know, be it they've been vandalized or removed, or, or they're being used as shelters for people experiencing homelessness. So, how do we make mm-hmm. people feel safer riding the bus? Yeah, it's interesting. I did a, a little personal study a while back on Portage Avenue, and I counted all of the, uh, went to every single bus shack on the uh, south side of Portage between, let's say, Mount Royal and downtown, and found out that 65% of the bus shacks had at least one broken pane that wasn't there. Uh, the other thing is, is that uh, most of the shacks that were fully enclosed, that were heated, were also really, really filthy and disgusting. And so, there was one at uh, Polo Park, and I watched this one for three weeks over the summertime. And nobody, nobody was using the space as a shelter or a living space for a very long time. And I couldn't understand why nobody was cleaning. Transit wasn't coming to clean this. And uh, one time it was raining, and I was there talking to a few people. I was like, "Hey, there's nobody in the bus shack. Would you want to stand out of the rain?" And they're like, "No, I wouldn't go in there." Hmm. You know. And so I think the first thing we need to do is make sure that these shacks are, uh, you know, visually safe when. Uh, when when empty, transit needs to get there. They need to clean these shacks. They need to make sure that they're usable for you know for riders when uh, when they can. Um, you know, and the second thing is a much bigger much bigger challenge is that we need to provide as a city more safe spaces for people to you know to be going. Bus shelters are not safe places for people to live. Um, we really can't uh, you know we really can't 
as a society be okay with people living in bus shelters? So uh, that's a, another topic, but um, yeah. you know, providing more safe spaces and shelters and making sure that there are safe pace, places for people to go because you know, a bus shelter is not a place to live. Rick Schoen, our guest in this segment, talking about transit and the responsibility of fare collection. That falls to transit operators. How should transit deal with individuals unwilling or unable to pay a fare because it's a, it's a source of confrontation and, and it can escalate. It yeah, you know, and I've looked at this for a lot of other cities and some cities that I've traveled to, um, you know, <clears throat> one of the things I've talked to a lot of bus drivers about this too, about off-board payment systems. And uh, it's one thing that we've been looking at. I've been looking at it in, in my campaign for a long time. And it just basically takes that conversation right out of the, you know, out of the topic of conversation for bus drivers. Uh, you know, fair, fair jumping, so to speak, is uh, is a pretty common thing across uh, North America and the world. The average fair jumping rate is about 20, 25%. I don't think we're that much different here in Winnipeg, um, but it is a major source of confrontation and it can escalate into a very uh, uncomfortable and say unsafe um, situation for the bus driver, but all the riders too. So the one thing that we'd have to figure out there is, is um, you know, people who have lower income who do pay cash, regularly speaking, uh, the off-board payment systems means that you ha- you essentially have to have some form, you know, some option for people to pay outside the bus. And then I think to couple with that is we really need to have, um, whether it's transit security or some other type of uh, enforcement, um, most cities who have off-board payments do this. They have intermittent inspections going through the bus service uh, on a regular basis. So uh, they're the people who will deal with the uh, the people who haven't paid and uh, inspect, you know, who's paid and who's not paid. We only have about 30 seconds, Rick, so this will need to be a quick answer. But are you a proponent of uh, bus rapid transit or light rail transit? Ooh, that's a good one. <clears throat> well, first of all, I'm not a proponent of putting bus rapid transit in uh, the middle of a field. It should be right where people want to go. Uh, LRT, yeah, I think we need to have that conversation still. We need to keep working towards it. Super expensive, but, um, you know, if we ever want it in Winnipeg, we need it on top of the conversation. Rick Schoen, thank you very much for the time. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Holy smokes. There's a blast from the mid-90s past the Quad City DJs. Come on, ride it. Ride the train. On a Thursday morning, it's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg. Did you used to dance to this at the Big A, Greg? No, this is more uh, Night Magic and Vernon era. Ah, Yeah. Man, not me, my brothers. Okay. (laughs) I would drink to it, you know, nice pace. I'm not really the dancer in my family. I don't know. I think I've seen you dancing from time to time in the studio. You got some moves. Yeah, but that's when my bros are not around. (laughs) (laughs) They put me to shame. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Just a reminder that we've got bomber tickets to give away at 9.15. We're asking you about technology. The, The things that frustrate you about technology, technology that's supposed to make your life easier, like Joanne who says, I tried to watch the Jets game last night. Turns out it wasn't on TV, so I had to find it online. Took me four tries just to get online to watch, and then I realized watching on a cell phone just didn't cut it for me, so I tried to cast it onto the TV using the Chromecast. But then I found out the hubby had removed it from the television. So I texted him, 
at the Jets game and vented my frustration, but I ended up listening to the game on 680 CJOB. CJOB 1, technology 0. Winnipeg Jets 5, Calgary Flames 0. So it worked out nicely. Two shutouts there. One of the Flames and one of technology. So we'll pick a winner at 9.15. And a reminder that we have John Mullaney tickets to give away in the next 10 minutes. So stand by for your cue to call. Question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness at 204-832-6243. We're talking transit today with the mayoral candidates. What improvement would you like to see most for Winnipeg Transit? More routes and frequency? Safety and security? More bus rapid transit? Or... Light rail. Feedback at 204-780-6868. Tying into light rail. Speaking of LRT, I moved to Edmonton in 1979. I was shocked to see that they had a subway, underground and above ground LRT, 40 years later. Nothing here. And we had a rail line down the middle of Rally Gateway from East St. Paul, all the way downtown that could have been used, but the brilliant people here took it out and we made a walking path. In all fairness, people do roller skate, scooter, and ride their bikes on that path. Yeah, I've seen, I've been, uh, I spent a lot of time there once upon a time, and yeah, that's a busy, busy trek. And Perry says this city needs to get. CNR and CPR out of the city. Route them both to Centerport. Having said that, then use their rail beds for, yes, light rail. We need to get on this. And based on safety for the CNR mainline going through the core, the oil cars, the black trains, the oil cars, as I call them, should not be going through our city. We do not need a repeat of an accident like Quebec. And uh, we're actually going to ask Robert Falcon Willette about this when he joins us in about a half an hour because that was one of the things he talked about when he ran in the election before last. Well, that's right. And there, here's one that might be close to your heart, Brett. As many buses as possible should loop around at... Red River College. Currently, riders, even the west and north end, have to transfer to get to RRC, which which means an hour to get to the college, which is only 20 minutes away. That's the thing that used to frustrate me the most about taking the bus is that it would take me an hour, over an hour to get somewhere that would take me 20 minutes in a car. Like I used to work at St. Fatale in the mall. And it would ta- I'd have to take the 47 all the way downtown, and then take another, bu- wait for the bus, and then take another bus to get me to St. Patel, and it would take me at least an hour. And I'd think, ah, <laughs> it's uh, just not worth it. Yeah, it's, especially in the winter. Yeah, yeah, we got to get ar- around that. Dawn says we used to live in Fort Gary near Pembina and McGilvery. My wife needed two buses and seventy-five minutes to get to work in Garden City. Now get this: they now live in Riverbend, which is North Main Street. Yep. And she still needs two buses in at least 90 minutes to get to work as her connecting bus at the Margaret Street transfer. Departs, get this, five minutes before her bus arrives. Winnipeg is one of the greatest transit disservices in Canada. It's almost faster to walk to where you're going than to take the bus. And Dawn continues probably safer as well. Yeah, that's also frustrating. When It's, it's one thing when you, like, let's say... Something happens on your bus and there, or there's a traffic jam and then you get off it and you realize that you've missed your transfer. You see the transfer bus pulling mm-hmm. away. But at least you had a chance. But to know that there's, in this case, there's no chance. Like he says the transfer leaves five minutes. There's just no, like you can't, 
work around that. So to know that you're taking a bus to get to the transfer and then you got to sit and wait forever, that's the worst. Yeah, and those are typically at those transfer points where you've got these crosstown buses that meander through neighborhoods and they're trying to serve a purpose, I get that. But the longer the route is and less frequent it is, the less reliable it becomes. It it really becomes a guessing game as to where that bus is going to end up and when. And then you have those transfer points. And if they're not official transfer points, like the one listener suggested at RRC, you have, you know, these hubs at Polo Park. You have them at St. Vitale Centre. You have them at Kildonan Place. Why don't we have them all over the place? There's, there, there, I think we need more of those if we're going to do this sort of, this hub and spoke sort of idea where we serve the neighbourhoods and then you get on a main route. Uh, just just so many gaps in a antiquated system that could have been filled. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg. Question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace 204-832-6243. What improvement would you like to see most for Winnipeg Transit? More routes and frequency, safety and security, more bus rapid transit or light rail? Cast your vote, cjob.com. We've also put that poll up on Twitter at 680cjob and on Instagram at 680CJOB. And the reason we're talking about transit, it's it's issues that affect you, your family, your safety, your daily commute. These are issues that are going to be decided by who we elect on October 26th. So every Tuesday and Thursday, 680CJOB is going to be talking about key election topics that matter to you and inviting all the front-running mayoral candidates onto our shows to respond. And just so you know, next Tuesday... October 11th, we will be discussing crime with the candidates. Thursday, October 13th, homelessness and housing situation in our city. Tuesday, October 18th, roads and active transportation. And then Thursday, October 20th, the future of downtown. But as you would likely know by now, today we are talking about transit. Mayoral candidate Robert falcon Willette joins us now. Good morning, Robert. We appreciate you taking the time with us. In your opinion, what is the number one thing we need to do when it comes to improving transit in Winnipeg? Well, here's uh, the crazy picker. Did you know that actually ridership has been on the decrease for almost for decades? Actually, in 1984, there were 64 million rides that went, went with Winnipeg Transit. Today, it's 31 million. Uh, that's a huge decrease. That means more people are driving their cars. And even though we've expanded routes, that even though the population of Winnipeg is 200,000 more people, less people are actually taking transit. And we have to ask the question, why? Uh, obviously, I think we can well estimate that there's a huge safety issue. Uh, when bus drivers are afraid to be on the buses, this is a major problem. Uh, I think there are also issues surrounding affordability. People just believe it's not good value for the money. So who wants to take a transit? And it's not a convenience enough. We, have, uh, we haven't invested along the major routes where people actually go, getting people from A to B efficiently and quickly. And then sometimes the buses just simply aren't clean. Um, you know, no one likes to get on the bus and wonder what is that sitting beside them. So then how critical is a functional modern transit system for the future economic and community development of our city? Uh, well, I think it's a, extremely important, obviously, but I think really making the buses uh, safe is like an, an, a priority of anyone. I think this is why we want to put in place and enable the super, transit supervisors to be peace officers, to have a zero-tolerance policy for any violence that occurs on the bus, 
And those buses will not move unless the people are removed if they are being disruptive and causing issues on the bus because passengers expect a good service. No one wants to ride the bus when they're afraid. And we sh- imagine if you're a passenger or if I, you had your children or my children on the bus and they had an issue, who did they go see? They go see the person in the uniform, it's the bus driver. If the bus driver is hiding behind a shield, that's a problem. Now, I'm going to put in shields for the bus drivers for the moment, but the long-term goal should be having an absolute zero tolerance for anyone causing any disruptions. Then, as I mentioned before, we have to make it more affordable. We want to drive up ridership on, on the buses, and we want to make it $1 to ride the bus to make sure that, uh, that there is no excuse that, uh, you know, simply we get our young people riding the bus, we get our seniors, we make sure that we reduce costs. And this is going to cost $12 million in this plan that we put forward, which is a, I, I think is actually one of the best plans. But if we can get ridership up, it's going to pay, uh, recover many of those costs on its own. Because if we went from $64 million in 1984 down to $31 million, there's a lot of room for growth. So just, just uh, Robert, I'm going to jump in here because the latest numbers yeah. we got from transit yesterday was pre-pan- were pre-pandemic. And you're right, yeah. transit usage has gone down in the city, but 2017, just over 48 million. And that number was pretty consess- consistent right through 2019. Uh, th- we don't have any 31 million uh, rider years here, yeah. except for the so pandemic. What, so- I, what I have heard is uh, because of today, uh, there is around 31 million is what we've been able to estimate 21 million the amount at- of revenue revenue and uh, other figures that you come from transit now they haven't released any of those figures but you have to sit you have to sit there and analyze what the the numbers and go through the yep, documents yep. we got the num- we got the we got the numbers yesterday and their estimate for uh, last year was just under 22 million not 31 million but that that's uh, fine the, the 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 point is obvious that with an increasing population it's even worse than i thought increasing population uh, fewer people riding the system, but but yeah. Brett's question had to do with economic development and the impact of a better transit system overall on the system. How how does that how do how do those two things intertwine? Well, obviously, if you want to have workers show up to work on time and and uh, and be able to get around the city, you have to make make it sure that there is a public transit system which is functional, uh, not just simply having uh, routes that go everywhere but having some really major arteries that are very frequent, uh, like what they do in other major cities like Quebec City, which is a similar size city to us, which has a metro bus system, which saw an increase in ridership. Because if people can't get to the work, uh, then businesses are going to suffer. And we know that there are, uh, after the pandemic, um, there are many people that have simply decided not to go back to the jobs that they were doing before. Now, um, at the same time, I think I also want to talk about actually about uh, the long-term plans of Winnipeg Transit. I, I am in favor of the master plan that has been developed, but I also want to study and understand light rail transit and the rail lines within the city. Uh, no government has actually done any study on this. And when I was a member of parliament uh, for uh, downtown, uh, I had the opportunity of speaking with the transportation minister. If there is civic leadership, the federal government will conduct a study, which would cost around a million dollars to actually get all the numbers and to see if there are actually uh, ways of, of reusing some rail lines which aren't needed, if it's appropriate to include light rail transit. Because the, uh, the city government wants to spend billions of dollars on bus rapid transit. But incredibly enough, 
Ottawa is getting away from bus rapid transit. They're going to a light rail transit system. So I'm not sure why we want to keep doing the things that we were doing <laughs> that others have decided are no longer good. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think we have to have a modern, forward-looking vision for our city. And what I'm saying in this is that with it, not that we're doing LRT, but simply we need to get the numbers on the table and not just guesstimates. It's not time to have a guesstimate about what it is we're doing, but actually have the real numbers and facts so we can actually make a proper decision on what it is we're going to be doing with our transportation system. Our guest is Robert Falcon Willette, and we're talking transit and transit safety has been a concern for years. And now we've got bus stops with shelters that are adding another layer of uncertainty. They're getting vandalized or being used as shelters for people experiencing homelessness. So how do we make people feel safer riding the bus? Well, as I've mentioned before, we're going to be putting in place a uh, one ensuring that there is actually a security force uh, or, or security on the buses on problematic routes, but also uh, transit supervisors will, with the appropriate training, may be made peace officers. There will be a zero tolerance policy for any form of violence on any of the buses, and no one will be allowed to sleep in the bus shelters. We are going to ensure that people have a place to go, a place to sleep, and it, uh, we will not allow anyone to simply sleep in the bus shelters. Those are there to provide all transit users, users, passengers, with the opportunity to stay warm or dry in the summer. Uh, and that, that's the purpose of those. And so we have to, I'm, I'm afraid we're going to have to put our foot down here and, and have some courage, but we have to move, uh, have to make our transit system where people want to ride it because it is an essential public service and what we're doing is not working. Now, this does not mean we don't have compassion for people who are are sleeping in the bus shelters as miniature homes, but we have to find them an appropriate housing that is adequate, that uh, meets their needs, but also addresses many of the mental health and addiction issues that they face. This is why yesterday we put out, I think, what's actually was the best plan of all the candidates for addictions uh, with harm reduction, treatment, and long-term supports. Um, This plan was actually uh, had a lot of consultation with a lot of the groups uh, that are involved in this, a lot of community groups, looking at different uh, jurisdictions across Canada, such as Calgary, seeing what they had done successfully in order to address the issues of uh, homelessness and addictions and, and the mental health challenges facing many people. And uh, later on this week, we're going to be putting out our homelessness plan and, and explaining exactly what we're going to be planning on doing to address this overall issue of our health of our city. Because I think we've come to the a point when people have said enough is enough and it's time to really do something about it. And one of my issues with a lot of politicians, and I'm not going to be your regular politician, is that many of them continue to say, yes, we're going to do this and this and this. But they come from certain social economic groups. They come from certain areas of the city. They associate with certain people. And at the end of the day, they go back to those groups over and over again. Instead of actually digging down to actually fix these issues, which are long-term. I, when In 2014, when I ran for mayor, we, I talked about this again. And everyone said, yes, yes, we're going to solve it. We're going to do something. And no one did anything. And here we are today, and nothing has changed. 
And I want to ask the citizens of the city of Winnipeg, do we want to continue to do this over and over again? I think people should probably take a chance on a different type of leader who has some experience, who was in the military for 27 years, who was a university professor, who's got two master's degrees, a PhD, speaks multiple languages, has some beautiful children, but who really wants to see a thriving city for our children. And uh, and I think if we continue doing the same old, same old, we're going to get the same old results because we keep using the same types of people to run our city. And we'll have to leave it there. Robert Falcon, we'll let we are out of time, but thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate the availability and your insight. And we'll speak again soon. That way I could keep on. Hi, hi. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is on Connecting Winnipeg. A reminder that we have bomber tickets to give away for Saturday's game. We're asking you about what frustrates you about technology, technology that's supposed to make your life easier. One of our listeners pointed out whose bright idea was it to remove the headphone jack from said from uh, cell phones and make it so that you need to connect through your charging port. And Greg, whose idea was it? The corporation that sells $300 wireless headphones or earbuds <laughs> to go along with said phone. That's who. I got a new phone recently and I was hoping it had a headphone jack. It does not. So I had to buy the, what they call it a dongle. I don't know if that's the official term, but that's what they call it. It's just a tiny cord that I plug into my plug my headphones into that, and then plug that into the phone. Yeah, yeah, the the, the dongle, like the converter, right? Yeah, but the one that I bought didn't like the sound was terrible. Ugh. So I googled it. At no, Samsung made it so that if you do need a dongle, you have to buy only the Samsung dongle for it to work properly. So I had to take it back, and then I had to go find. What a frustrating experience. Just let me pl- listen to my music, man. And I know the solution is to get wireless, but I like my headphones. So we'll pick a winner at 9.15. In the meantime, we like puns around here. Clever wordplay. Almost every day, Don starts us off by sending us memes of such things. Like today, he sent us a pic from uh, Vince the Sign Guy, which says, You weigh a millennial in Instagrams. It took me a little while to get it. About <laughs> three, four beats, and then I laughed. Very much out loud, Brett. <laughs> because social media. So when I saw a note about this next event, it had my attention already because of what it's for. But what ultimately reeled me in was the name Kicking Pancreas. It's a five-kilometer run-walk event being held by Craig's Cause Pancreatic Cancer Society on October 22nd. So let's put it on your radar now. We have two guests. Jen Shapka, Winnipeg Race Director, joins us now. Good morning, Jen. Good morning. Can you hear me okay? We can. Technology hasn't failed us uh, on your line, at least. Let's check Helen Wright's line. Helen is Director of Marketing and Communications for Craig's Cause. Good morning, Helen. Hello. How are you? We're doing well, and we can hear you just fine. So let's let's proceed, shall we? Anytime we focus on cancer, Helen, it's it's obviously important. But pancreatic cancer in a little bit of a category on its own. Why is it so important to make sure this stays in the spotlight? It's completely important. It is one of the, what they call an orphan cancer, as it's not in the spotlight. It's the 12th most commonly diagnosed cancer, yet it's the third leading cause of cancer deaths. So it's even surpassed breast cancer deaths. But it is projected to become the second leading cause of cancer deaths, by 2030. So it's it's moving up. 
It's uh, one of those cancers that it's hard to diagnose. Most people are diagnosed at a late stage. And it's, uh, it, it's just one of those really hard ones. In Manitoba itself, uh, this past year, there was, uh, stats say, 220 incidences of pancreatic cancer. It's equal both male and female. There was 185 deaths. So at this point right now, 10 out of 100 people live past five years. Who is Craig in Craig's cause? Um, Craig is Craig Condon, who is uh, Stephanie Condon Oldreeve, who is our founder. It is her father. Uh, he was a uh, non smoker, didn't drink, no drugs, very athletic. Uh, he was diagnosed in July of 20, 2006, sorry, and died in September of 2006. Is that part of the the problem or the issue with pancreatic cancer? Is maybe the, the is the lack of warning that we get the the lack of of issues associated with it and the symptoms? It is it is definitely one of them because the symptoms themselves, such as loss of appetite, indigestion, stomach pain, um, those are just a few, and I'm sure all of us experience that <laughs> every so often. Um, so it is a hard one to think that, you know, to diagnose and think that you have. A big thing is uh, that they're finding is new onset diabetes as well as jaundice is, is big. So, but a lot of the symptoms are things that, you know, most people deal with daily and just don't think about it. So Jen, what's happening on October 22nd? Well, we are putting on a fun run uh, for all ages, uh, families, um, accomplished runners, people who've never tried to run before. All abilities, um, certainly walking or kids in strollers or wagons would be very welcome um, in the dark. So that's kind of a fun uh, wrap-up to the Winnipeg running season, which has tons of different events. But this is a, we're a late addition to the calendar. So if you, you haven't looked at what's available lately, this one is the last one of the running of the year um, before we get into winter running. And everyone can come out and um, wear glow sticks. We'll have light batons and some lit swag like headlamps. And we've got finisher medals for everyone, and uh, you can come and have a, a great time in the dark um, and draw attention to this important cause. No kidding. Uh, Jen, this is resonating with a lot of people listening right now. How do we sign up? Well, you can go to the Craig's Cause website, which is craigscause.ca, and then scroll down to events. Just make sure you find the Winnipeg one because there are a number of other ones across the country, but this is the first year it's being held in Winnipeg. So I hope that uh, people get a team together or get some, some friends or coworkers and costumes are encouraged. Um, I have been known to appear in a, a unicorn onesie when in, I am at a cold running event. So you might see me in that. <laughs> uh, so dress warm, but also have fun with it. And, and because it's in the dark, we want people to be seen and be safe. So add those glow sticks or those batons and we will have lit swag as well. Again, craigscause.ca uh, slash KP uh, it can, can help you register. So thank you very much for bringing this to our attention because, um, you know, it's one of those things where I think it's it, it's kind of, Helen, it's with the, with the stats that you pointed out. Like, it's one of those things that we know it's bad, but it's good to hear that reminder, like to hear that Craig was diagnosed in July and died two months later. Um, this is important that we remember pancreatic cancer and how tough it is. Oh, definitely it is. And that seems to happen to, um, to quite a few that it is, as you know, within a diagnosis, you, it happens quite soon. 
So 50% of people um, die within four months. Oh, Helen Wright, the Director of Marketing and Communications for Craig's Cause. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having us. And Jen Shapka, Race Director, thank you for yours as well. We appreciate it. Thank you. Hope to see you out there. Again, the event is October 22nd at St. Vitell Park. It starts at 6.15, registration, or you can meet at the Aspen Picnic Shelter at 5.15. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb's Unconnecting Winnipeg. Congrats to Sheila Careless, who won a family four-pack for Boo at the Zoo. And we have bomber tickets to give away for Saturday. We're asking you about the things that frustrate you about technology, things that are it's supposed to make our lives easier, but it so often makes it way more difficult. And Deb zeroing in on something here. Creating a password is becoming increasingly difficult. Say that you want the password to be cabbage. Sorry, the password must be more than eight characters. Boiled cabbage. Sorry, the password must contain one numerical character. One boiled cabbage. Sorry, the password cannot have blank spaces. 50 effing boiled cabbages. Sorry, the password must contain at least one uppercase character. And so on and so on. I've experienced this frustration and uh, it makes me mad. And uh, another, this next one, simple but super frustrating. Yes, and, and it echoes my sentiments completely. Technology, a lack of face-to-face communication. Send emails constantly. Uh, with something that can or is communicated in person at the workplace, and you can do it much more quickly, much more efficiently face-to-face, and uh, the responses don't get lost either, Brett. Amanda says her most frustrating technology... I would have to say that I really enjoy my Google Home Assistant. I frequently use it to play music around my house. I also ask Google common questions like, how long is said food item good for once open? Or how long do I cook chicken for? But I will say the most common question I asked my Google Home Assistant for is, and I I don't want to use the keywords here, but find my phone because I don't want to set off your Google Assistant. The only thing with this, half the time she doesn't recognize my voice. The worst part and most frustrating part I experience with using it to find my phone is the response. Sorry, I don't recognize your voice. Please update your voice using the link I just sent to your phone. Well, if I can't find my phone, how am I going to access the link? Uh, that is brilliant. Uh, that I, That's uh, that circular insanity that just... Uh, can happen with technology sometimes. Thank you, Amanda. But Kevin, Kevin F. is our winner. Let me start by saying I'm older than my wife. This is a reoccurring event in our home. Honey, the Wi-Fi isn't working. Honey, the TV stopped working. Honey, there's something wrong with my phone. Honey, the home alarm is acting up. When I was younger, I had to turn off the TV when the cable TV was down. The TV worked unless it wasn't plugged in. The only phone problem I had was I couldn't leave the kitchen as the phone was on the wall. To fix my alarm, I just yelled at the dog to shut up. (laughs) So happy for my techie wife. P.S. In my opinion, technology has advanced the world but created cardiac issues for some. Fair point, Kevin. And for that very, very explicit email, uh, you are a winner today. Right on, Kevin. Thank you very much. Congrats. You're going to the Bomber game. And indeed, it, yeah, it's advanced the world. But cardiac issues, I get anxiety knowing that a lot of technology is like a, that I've fallen behind. I used to be on top of stuff. 
Yes. But there's so much happening now. Like when you look at what YouTubers do, what live streamers do, uh, the idea of, of even moderating some kind of a live stream scares the daylights out of me. Yeah, my, my youngest brother came to my house uh, just a few weeks ago and uh, take a look, uh, took a look at some of my uh, tech setups, and he just laughed at me. He goes, you don't need all these cables, man. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you don't need this. You don't need that. You don't need this. You do need one of these. <laughs> Fair enough. As Russia's war on Ukraine continues, so does Canada's commitment to Ukrainian refugees. According to Joanne Lewandowski, who is president of the Ukrainian-Canadian Congress Manitoba Provincial Council, more than 5,000 of those displaced people have found their way to Manitoba. And of course, a great number of those individuals need jobs. Our next guest, Brad, has not only welcomed these newcomers with open arms, he's also employing them. This morning, he's going to tell us about his plan to do more. Let's welcome to the sp- to the start, Mark Marovich of Marovich Staffing Agency. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. How are you? We're doing well. Thanks for connecting with us again. Much uh, much appreciated. Yeah. You've been actively employing displaced Ukrainians since they began arriving in the province. What are they doing for you at ECB Verdial? Ver- Verdial. Yeah, we uh, we're a rural manufacturer. We've got. Uh, factories in Riverton and Bloom North, Manitoba, and we were dying for staff. We needed people in a, in a big way. And so when I realized that the Ukrainians were coming to Manitoba, I started connecting with them and starting to hire them. And in that company, I now have 23 uh, working for me and, uh, and more resumes and more people wanting to work for me than I can handle now. And so what I realized was, that there was a lot of other companies out there that were needing people. And there was this disconnect between the Ukrainians coming and the, and the employers uh, that needing people. So uh, I decided to start uh, Morovich staffing agencies to connect Ukrainians with, with employers here in Manitoba. Now, I think we've all met a new Canadian citizen, a landed immigrant, or refugee who is working in a job which does not in any way match their skill set or profession. So is that the situation with your employees? Oh, it, actually, it, it did happen. So when I was bringing them in, they were happy to take any job, a job. But then when I, what I soon realized was that the talents that were, that's coming here wasn't matching the talent that I needed. And there was a, a young couple, uh, Yuri and Elena Lenov, who, who, you know, he was telling me as he was working in my factory that he had a clothing factory in Ukraine and was selling uh, uh, his clothing online. He was kind of like a, a sportswear, Lululemon type of, of business for, for Ukraine. The war came along and his warehouses were blown up and, and he, had to, he had to leave and, and he was actually outside in Poland trying to expand his business into Europe uh, when the war started, but but the war just basically finished his business, and he ended up in Riverton, Manitoba, making product for me. And so I thought, you know, I I said to him, I said, well, what if we what if we created a staffing agency where I hired Ukrainians to really vet out the the talent that was coming? I said I know a lot of business owners. And we, we make a, a company that connects it. He goes, I love that idea because what people don't realize a lot of is, is in Ukraine, 
they make a certain amount of money, you know, three to $600 a month. If they go to Poland or Latvia or Estonia, they're making 1000 to $1,200 a month. So there's a lot of Ukrainians that are working outside of the Ukraine uh, when the war started and, and sending money back home. And now Canada is a viable option for them to come and settle. And what do we need here? We need people and employees. And, and, and so there's this, there's this resource here that, that is really needed. And our goal and our mission of, of our staffing agency is to put those people in the, in the seats that best suit them for their talents. And that will make them happier in the jobs that they're going to get. That's going to make their employers happier. And they're going to be contributing to our economy a lot quicker if we can make that match happen in a, in a fast way. Mark, when you and I spoke the other day, you told me a story about a, an individual who worked at a nuclear power plant in Ukraine. And then, you know, compare and contrast that with what he was doing here or has been doing here and what he might be capable of doing here uh, longer term should should that individual decide to stay in manitoba yeah you know i i when i looked at that resume i was like holy man uh, to work in a nuclear plant you gotta know your stuff and he was an, he's an electrician and and i and i get the fact that Maybe they're, you know, need to have the licensing and whatnot to be electrician in Manitoba. And he's willing to start off as an, an apprentice. But he was working in a, in a grocery store. And, 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 and I, it just drives me nuts that we have such great talent that's not connecting with the right employers. And surely if he's working in a nuclear plant, he's got to know his stuff. You know, the world standards of, of those kind of situations are are. are top notch and 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 he's working in a grocery store and i think that's just a shame um a lack of 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 being uh, you know not utilizing that resource that's coming here so my staffing company i've only hired uh ukrainians that that can speak the language you know ukrainian or russians uh in ukraine they you know some people's first language is russian and first and some people's first language is ukrainian uh most of them speak both uh, so I've, I've got this staff that's going to be able to analyze and, and figure out what the talent really is and, and put that into a, a resume that Canadian employers will understand and see. And then we want to make sure that, that the employers also show what they have to offer, not just in terms of what the job is, but what life are they going to have working in, in a factory or in an office or, you know, if it's rural Manitoba, and a lot of the Ukrainians want to go to rural Manitoba uh, because they get their permanent residency quicker if they're in rural Manitoba, and uh, we have such a, a large diaspora in, 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 in rural Manitoba, it's, it's perfect for them to do that or to go there. And, and having that, that, that connection, um, I think, is, is going to be the key of, of what's needed here, and that's why we created this business. Our guest is Mark Morovich of Morovich Staffing Agency, actively employ, employing displaced Ukrainians since they began arriving in our office or in our province. Pardon me. Um, you, you you mentioned the rural Manitoba in particular as it pertains to Manitoba's economy and the rural Manitoba economy. Uh, can you maybe just expand on on that and how we just talked about will help pump well, up our economy? You, you you think it's hard to find people in Winnipeg? go to small town Manitoba and try to find people to run your factories, to 
be in your your um, uh, grocery stores or your restaurants. There's lacks of a lack of employees everywhere, and people are shutting down. In my business, before I, I brought in all these Ukrainians, we were shutting down shifts. We were having a backlog of orders. We had the orders. We just couldn't get them out the door. We didn't have the people uh, to make it. So I, I, I really think that, that you know, we're, we're calling them refugees, and they're not really refugees in the term of refugees. These are people that, that had to leave their country. They're coming here, and uh, they're looking at this opportunity to contribute to our economy. And and I find that a lot of them are in the hotels that our province is paying for right now, and they're, and they're having a hard time connecting with employers. And sometimes that's a language barrier, or sometimes that's a, just a resume thing, or, or they, they take the wrong job uh, just because it is a job, and then they don't last there that long, and then the employer goes, well, they didn't last that long. Well, they didn't last that long because they didn't know what they were getting into. And, uh, you know, from our, from, if, if we can make this match work, uh, it's going to be fantastic. And there are, you know, since we've opened up our, our staffing agency and we're getting candidates coming in, these Ukrainians are not all in Ukraine right now. Uh, we've got Ukrainians in Mexico and Thailand, in United States. They're all looking for their right seat and the right job and the right life for them uh, while this, this goes on. And, and, and so, there is there is a abundance of talent. You know, I think there was 150,000 visas granted, and only 50,000 are in Canada right now. So that means there's 100,000 people out there around the world looking at Canada as an option. And Manitoba is number one on their list because of our diaspora, which is Ukrainians like myself of of, of Ukrainian descent, and um, and. Uh, um, and they want to come, and and to get their permanent residency is really the easiest to do in Manitoba, and our housing is the is the least expensive. They they look at at Manitoba as being a fantastic place to settle. So not only is just the ones in the hotels that we want to get out there, but we want to get you know uh, attract these these people to Manitoba that already have the visa and are ready to go. You know everything from meat cutters to watchmakers to uh, Red Seal carpenters. Like they're out there, and we'll find them. We just got a text message from Tim, and we've just got about 40 seconds here. Mark, uh, Tim says, I recently met a man whose father-in-law was a doctor in Ukraine and has taken a job as a dishwasher here. Now, I know you're not necessarily going to find this uh, person a job as a doctor, but maybe something that more closely matches uh, his skill set. How do we connect this person with you and others like him or her? Um, well, number one, uh, Morovich.com is, is where the Ukrainians will go and, and give us their information. So let's say like a doctor. I can't get a doctor job here in, in Manitoba because of the, the regulations of, of that profession. Uh, but we can find out what's, what other things that we can do or where does that person want to go. Because you're right, that kind of talent, being a dishwasher, is, is just wrong. And we've got to find out where we can make that fit for that person. I, I'm staffing Ukrainians and, and they'll understand, you know, they're here, they're working with me and they will ask that person, you know, and define where, uh, what kind of job opportunities that that person really wants to be at and be happy at. Cause I'm sure being a dishwasher is just something that they have to do right now, not want to do. Mark Morovich of Morovich Staffing Agency joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you for joining us and thanks for doing what you're doing. This is great. 
You're welcome. Thank you.